Greetings, everyone. This is your host, Josh, here. Happy to say that the Trans Natural Perspectives podcast is brought to us by listeners like you. If you find value in this show and you want to help it grow, please consider sharing this podcast, writing a review, and supporting the show. Head on over to transnaturalperspectives.com to learn more about how you can contribute as a monthly subscriber, as a one-time donor, as well as check out our blog. I invite you to contact me with any ideas you have for the show. If you'd like to be a guest, if you need a writer, or any other tips on further funding opportunities. I'd really love to hear from you. It keeps this show going, keeps me going. And with that being said, thanks for listening. That was a real mental challenge in terms of how much my body could take and whether it would trigger a seizure in me, essentially. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Transnatural Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bennett. This is the show where we put nature in focus, bringing you global perspectives on society and culture across environments and landscapes to inspire you to integrate sustainable practice into your life, your job, your teaching, your practice, whatever you do. When it comes to sociocultural and ecological sustainability, we must attack these existential issues from all sides. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can start today. Now, let's continue on our journey of seeking out diverse perspectives. In today's conversation, we travel back to the United Kingdom to speak with Fran Tarauskas. Fran is writer and creator of the Seize Your Adventure podcast, which showcases stories in particular of adventures and outdoor lovers of all shades who happen to have epilepsy. After Fran walked the Camino del Santiago solo in 2017, she became uncomfortable with descriptions such as brave and inspirational when people learned about her epilepsy diagnosis. She created the Seizure Adventure podcast to normalize the idea of epilepsy and adventure. Fran has a lot of good adventure stories to share with us as well as we discuss where this all fits into the classic and emerging adventure narratives. If you're looking for more information on this term, adventure narrative, which we do mention quite a bit here in the show, check back to our episode two of the podca- of this podcast where we break that all down with Bob Henderson. But first, listen here. If you like listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe and rate a review wherever you're listening. Even better, you can like the show on all our pages, on all social media platforms, pretty much. You can follow or you can contact me on all of these social media platforms with the handle at symbol, at symbol, transnaturalpod, all one word. Check out the show's growing archive of articles on Medium or just send me a good old-fashioned email at transnaturalpod at gmail.com. And yes, of course, please don't forget to share this wherever and with whomever you can. It's really the best way you can support the show. And now, with all that out of the way, enjoy this conversation with Fran Tarauskas from Seize Your Adventure Podcast, and I will be talking with you on the other side with some reflections. Welcome, everybody, and welcome to my guest, Fran Tarauskas, host of 
podcast that I listen to quite a bit called Seizure Adventure. And she's here today to tell us what that clever title is all about. So thanks for coming on the show, Fran. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me on. And where are you joining us from today? So I am based on the very outskirts of London. So it's an area called Kingston-upon-Thames, right in the, the kind of like suburbs area of London. So quite quite green and leafy. One of the reasons I moved down here was, well, I moved here for uni, essentially, and I chose the area because it is that nice mix of London's just there. But we have loads of royal parks, which are massive green spaces, and it is just lovely to be able to get out into them, essentially. And just very quickly, I do have a fun fact on this, which is that London has become the first national park city. I believe that they were given that title last year, and that is because of the the nature and the green spaces that have been basically preserved within the city. So, yeah, that's my fact for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. London is such an interesting city. It's one of the, the most populated cities in the world. It's huge. Lots of congestion, but at the same time, you do have these really beautiful parks. And you even have these, you know, rivers with, you know, people living on houseboats. And there's a lot of just unique nooks and crannies there in London to explore. I think it's actually probably quite infinite and endless. So, seize your adventure. Three words. uh, Clever name. Tell us, why is this a clever name? Can you break it down for us in a bit more detail, please? So Seize Your Adventure is a podcast that is based around outdoors and adventure sports, but everybody that comes onto the podcast has an epilepsy diagnosis. So seizures, obviously the major part of an epilepsy diagnosis. And I thought that the the way that the title is phrased, a bit more of a pun with it, seizure adventure, but it really also just shows that the focus is on the, the adventure part of it and the outdoors part and epilepsy we, we can connect over it and we are hopefully being able to, to share a bit more about the condition, but it is a, a secondary part to our adventures quite a lot of the time. Yeah, because I remember when I first was just looking for podcasts on, you know, outdoors and adventure and these types of topics, I came across yours and I did think, oh, nice little, nice icon, you know, very nice title, but I didn't quite get the pun until I started listening to the first few minutes and then I got it immediately that it was, you know, about this kind of unique particular situation and how it intersects with outdoor experiences. So I immediately subscribed and I've been uh, listening uh, to many episodes ever since. Before we get into it, although I know that it is, like, as you say, a secondary part of the show that you run and also kind of the experience, it is an important part that people understand. So could you give us a little bit more of an idea for us who don't know so much about it, what epilepsy actually is? Yeah, so epilepsy is quite a complicated condition. And I think that most people, when they think of epilepsy, they'll think about the the very obvious seizures. So you lose your consciousness and you convulse. They possibly think about flashing lights and that kind of thing. 
but epilepsy and epilepsy diagnoses, it, it goes way beyond that, essentially. And there are lots of different types of seizure. So if you lose consciousness, but you don't fall to the floor, that can happen sometimes. So you might you might think of it like someone's just blanking out, but that's actually their brain is having a, a bit of difficulty. It is seizing, essentially. And you have loads of different kinds of seizure that all fall under this epilepsy diagnosis. And epilepsy is essentially a seizure disorder. So you have seizures more than once. And it is to do with that that brain activity that is causing a seizure. So you might also find that some people have seizures without having an epilepsy diagnosis because you can have seizures for things like if you uh, go into hypoglycemic shock and that kind of thing. So it's quite complicated when you start talking about seizures in general, but we we tend to focus on people with epilepsy and have epileptic seizures. Okay, so just to get started, because as you said, it's a very complicated condition and of course everybody's different, but what concerns does that raise as a person with epilepsy when engaging in some kind of outdoor or adventure activity or really any kind of activity? Yeah, absolutely. Because with seizures, the main thing that all seizures tend to have, whether it's those very obvious ones or ones that are a bit more less noticeable, as it were, they are all about a loss of control. So if you are thinking about extreme sports in particular, you want to be in control of as many things as you can be. So if you're not in control of your body, that can be something that you really have to think about. You have to factor that into every risk assessment. And like you say, that's risk assessments if you are in a town, if you are in a house by yourself, if you're working and all of that kind of thing. So the way that I approach things and the way that people approach things that come onto the podcast is that if you are wanting to do things outside, you're wanting to do adventure sports, it is just a risk assessment. It is an extra factor that you have to consider. And for some people, it might mean that they are limited in the type of sports they can do or the type of activities. But for a lot of people, it just means that there needs to be a few adaptations and then they can still go out and enjoy the sports that they love. So how did you get into this? What is the your in the Seize Your Adventure title? What's your experience or connection with epilepsy? So for my experience, I slightly disconnected it from it these days, to be honest with you, because I can happily say it's been five years since my last seizure. But the type of seizures that I had were those very obvious ones. They're called tonic-clonic seizures. So there's a, a little bit of medical information for you. And it was, for me, I had several of them between the age of about 22 and 26, I think I was when I got my diagnosis. And they were very random. They didn't have any specific triggers. So there wasn't anything that we could tell was causing them. And they they happened in 
when I was awake. It happened when I was asleep. And it was something which I just had no idea about. No, that's a bit of a lie. I had some idea about it uh, after the first one. So I had my first seizure when I was at university and that was a complete and utter shock. I had a lot of doctors asking me questions like if I'd been drinking or taking drugs and that kind of thing, because that is another thing that can cause seizures sometimes. The answer was no to all of those ones. So they told me it was a one-off seizure. And I went away thinking that it it was a one-off and I didn't really think about it again. Luckily, after uni, I actually started working with some students with learning difficulties and some of them had epilepsy as well. So I had a full epilepsy and seizure training after I left university. And so when I was diagnosed with epilepsy myself, I was already fairly clued up as to what that meant and that kind of thing and the fact that there are different types of seizure But yeah, it was still a very long path to my diagnosis. So my first seizure when I was 22 and then four years between that and my actual diagnosis where it was just, they were happening randomly. They weren't always as noticeable. And so, yeah, it was a a bit of a tricky one for me. But glad when I did get the diagnosis, it was actually a really good step for me, a really good thing to have because I've been taking medication since then. And yeah, haven't had a seizure in five years, which is awesome to be able to say. Yes, that's totally awesome. That's really great to hear. So let's get on to the adventure part of the title. So how has this impacted your own adventure experience? And in, in, in general, what kind of stuff do you like to do when you go outside and go on a journey? Yeah, so before my diagnosis, before I started having seizures, I was fairly outdoorsy, particularly when I was younger. Me and my family did an awful lot of hiking holidays. So we would go to Snowdonia, kind of mountainous area in Wales, and do hiking there. I had a few kind of things like rock climbing experiences and stuff like that when I was a kid. And I went and did some traveling after school and before university and I went over to New Zealand for a couple of months and as I think probably a lot of people know New Zealand is the adventure capital of the world so there was quite a lot of climbing up of things and then throwing myself off of things again once I climbed them when I was over in New Zealand and then when I was at university I had quite an indoorsy degree so we were talking a little bit before the podcast about the fact that I work in a library now and I actually did a degree in creative writing and drama so they're quite indoors activities and so I didn't do as much adventure or outdoorsy stuff for quite a few years whilst I was doing my degree essentially and then yeah then I started having the seizures and I didn't necessarily avoid things because of the seizures. And I do think that I actually turned to the outdoors quite a lot during that time. And because when you have seizures, you can't drive, I have never learned to drive. So my go-to when I'm trying to get to places is walking and cycling and that kind of thing. And so during the, the whole 
trying to get a diagnosis and all of that kind of stuff. I did an awful lot of walking around in in the nice green spaces near where I let where near where I live rather. And uh, yeah, it was something that I definitely even if I didn't actively know that I was doing it, I definitely turned to being out in nature and being active outdoors as a way of just kind of like trying to process things that were happening to me essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's great that you found that, you know, personally being outdoors and getting in touch with nature and getting that nature connectedness could, you know, in some ways help you with your epilepsy. And I mean, this is kind of a common thing that I think is getting studied for many, many, many different kinds of conditions now. Have you seen much research, um, particularly about nature connection between people who have epilepsy and nature or natural or outdoor experiences? So there is very little in terms of specific studies that have been done. But one thing that a lot of doctors say is that epilepsy and seizures are quite often related to things like stress. So for me in particular, uh, stress was really the only thing that they could say that might be what's causing your seizures essentially. And obviously, as you as you said, with quite a lot of the studies pointing to the fact that being outside and being active outdoors helps with things like depression and it helps with, I think, things like Parkinson's have been shown to be improved from being out, outside and that kind of thing. Even though there isn't as many studies that relate to epilepsy, there are quite a few that relate to brain activity in general and brain health in general. So it is something which I, I can quite safely advocate to people to to try and just build in a little bit more outdoor activity into their life and hopefully like I say I I definitely feel like it helped me through my diagnosis even if it didn't physically necessarily help me it certainly helped with my stress levels which can only be a good thing well that's really fantastic to hear that you found your nature connections to be very helpful in reducing your stress levels and I think probably a lot of people out there can identify with that just backing up a little bit, do you have any notion or idea why there's been such a lack of funding and research when it comes to people with epilepsy and outdoor experiences, activities, or nature connections? I mean, it seems quite obvious or you know, quite a no-brainer that there would be more advocacy for this type of investigation. Certainly, epilepsy in general hasn't had much funding. I know, I don't know as much in the UK, but I know in the US, even though it is one of the most uh, prominent neurological conditions, it gets some of the lowest funding of all of it. So that's, that is something that is interesting to know. And I think it comes from the fact that epilepsy has been stigmatized throughout history it is something which 
you know, in the olden days, it was very much seen as things like the devil and possession and that kind of thing. And you, if you had epilepsy, you weren't able to get married and you weren't able to have kids and all of this kind of stuff that is only recently changed in in the, the global West, as it were. And in other areas of the world, it's still the case that you can't get married with epilepsy. And it's still the case that you can be legally divorced because somebody has a seizure. So I think that it, as we, as we've discussed, it's a very complicated condition. It's something that can show itself in many different ways. And because of that, there has been so much stigma in history. And I think it's just fed into how little it's looked at and how little people talk about it. And therefore, if we're not talking about it, we're not studying it. Well, I think that's really important that you bring that up, this history of stigmatization and general misunderstanding over the condition of epilepsy. And that there's certainly a lack of research on this, especially when it comes to outdoor experiences from what it sounds like. And who knows? I mean, we have a lot of, I believe we have a lot of researchers out there working in the outdoors and other kinds of arenas. So perhaps someone wants to take that up because as you've said already in this conversation, and as I've heard on your podcast, many people with epilepsy consider nature experiences and nature connection to have quite a better beneficial effect on triggers that exacerbate symptoms stress being a you know many people will will say that you know nature experiences you know physical activity is a great natural stress reliever and that's great that it could be, you know, really super beneficial to someone who has a condition that reacts very adversely to stress, such as epilepsy. But of course, especially when we're talking about adventure and outdoor activities, I mean, I guess, you know, everybody's different, but a lot of these activities can bring stress to people too, especially if they're doing some kinds of extreme activities, perhaps. I'm thinking belaying off the side of you know, a rock face or a mountain or or even doing some kind of, you know, really extreme race, you know, ultra running for many, many, many hours. So are there certain activities that are maybe more conducive towards the epileptic experience? Yeah, so this is a really in- interesting question and it really comes down to individuals essentially i mean one one thing with epilepsy i would say is in general it is a very individual condition so everybody will experience seizures differently and everybody will react to those seizures differently and it's exactly the same with the the sports and that kind of thing as i said it's something that hasn't really been studied officially But we do know that, for example, there are some people that have a type of epilepsy where it can be induced by uh, sport, by doing sport and activity. Whereas some people, if they do sport and activity, their seizures limit will, their seizure amounts will lower and that kind of thing. So it does get very confusing and very individual. As, As you said, when you have some activities like like belaying, like ultra marathons and that kind of thing that can be quite stressful. There 
isn't very much information out there. And a lot of people that try and do these things with epilepsy are sounding sounding it out. They're basically testing the ground every time they do it. I, particularly with ultra marathons, I last year decided to do an ultra marathon myself. So I'm quite, quite a good hiker. I've always been into walking and stuff like that, but I've never really done running and decided last year, um, not quite on a whim, but basically on a whim to go from not really running at all to running a hundred kilometers over a weekend. So <laughs> that was, that involved four months worth of training and learning how to run, learning where my, my limits were and that kind of thing. And that was a real mental challenge in terms of how much my body could take and whether it would trigger a seizure in me essentially because to try not to get too technical but just to to give you a little bit of an idea about quite a lot of people actually let me rephrase that a little bit for you so everybody has a seizure limit so whether you have epilepsy or not you will have a seizure limit for most people, that seizure limit will be quite high and it will take quite a large event before you have a seizure. So whether that's something like brain injury, you might end up having a seizure if your brain is directly injured. You might have a seizure if you have a really bad fever or if you're in hospital and you are um, in a, a bad condition, that might cause a seizure as well. So everybody has a seizure limit but for people with epilepsy, that limit is just lowered. So things that might not cause a seizure regularly would cause a seizure in people with epilepsy. So there is always the potential when you're putting stress on your body that it is going to trigger a seizure, essentially. So when I was training for an ultra marathon, I was starting to put a bit of stress and pressure on my body that I've never done before. And I was doing, you know, 30 kilometer runs. I was learning how to fuel myself and what kind of food I needed and how much I needed to eat and how much I needed to drink and all of this kind of thing. And so that was a real test for me because even though I haven't had a seizure in five years, there was the potential that if I pushed myself too much, it, it would just kind of like break through essentially. So yeah, it's a really individual question and answer with that. Everyone's going to have something different. But like you say, if, if something is going to stress you out in a bad way, if there is something which is just too scary for you or just too physically difficult, some people might have to approach it differently and they might they might end up deciding that it's not worth the risk and you might end up having a seizure because of that, that different kind of stress, essentially. But yeah, it's a really interesting question, to me anyway, and uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that's something that will be looked into a little bit more in the future. Very hopeful that it's something that people with far more intelligence than me will be able to crack at some point. Wow. Okay. Okay. So many questions. First of all, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about this run. How did this go? Yeah. So it was a run called Race of the Stones and it runs along the oldest 
known path in the UK and it's called the Ridgeway. It goes basically straight through the the bottom half of the UK and it's a really old landscape and you have things like burial mounds and you have things like standing stones and that kind of thing. And the race of the stones starts at the, the top of the Ridgeway, which is up in the, I want to say Chiltern Hills somewhere. I really should know that, but my geography is really bad. So <laughs> maybe double check that one. And yeah, the, the race itself was 100 kilometres and it finished in a town called Avebury, which is a stone circle quite similar to Stonehenge, but it's much bigger and you can walk around Avebury Stone Circle and you actually have a village that's inside the stones themselves as well. So it's beautiful place, absolutely gorgeous history behind it. And I chose to do that ultramarathon because it is basically an area that's quite near to where I grew up, grew up with my parents and we did quite a lot. We grew up in Reading area, so West Berkshire area and Avebury is in Wiltshire. So it's kind of like a, a county over essentially. Uh, yes, Reading, but we used to home do of the lot. Reading Festival. Home of the Reading Festival, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> What it's most known for, what it's most known for, and then maybe the the prison where Oscar Wilde died—that's the other thing it's known for. But uh, <laughs> and yeah, so it's a really old landscape, really old route that you're following. And me and my family used to take day hikes on that that route essentially, and we used to go to Avebury Stone Circle on days out. So it was something that I wanted to to do something that I felt connected to, essentially, and I felt very connected to that route. And yeah, it was just incredible. It was just so incredible being able to run that route. And I have to say, I just felt like I was in something like Lord of, Lord of the Rings and just doing one of those epic you know, when they start running in one film and then like a year later you go and see the sequel and they're still running, that's what ultra running felt like to me before I started the race. And it just felt so epic being able to run through a country like that and the countryside. So yeah, it was a, a really good experience to to be able to do. And hopefully I will be able to do another ultra marathon at some point in the future as well. Wow, it sounds like quite the journey after all. I mean, you know, going through all these different little towns, you know, being in like slightly urban areas, rural areas, green areas, farmlands, amazing adventure. And speaking of adventure, I, you know, you come from the UK, home of a lot of, I would say, uh, foundations of classic adventure narratives, of course, not the only ones, but you do have, especially in modern times, a lot of famous uh, explorers, famous adventurers, and maybe even a, a kind of a culture that, you know, for better or for worse, has laid a foundation for, you know, modern invention narratives definitely played a big role. So, you know, you having an adventure podcast, being an adventurer yourself, what do you think yeah, about adventure? Yeah, I definitely call it an adventure. What does adventure I mean to you? An you adventure just- is... So, so I ask, so I ask everyone that comes on to 
the Seizure Adventure podcast, <laughs> what they think adventure is. And after two years of doing the podcast and three years of doing it as a as a website as well, I think I finally figured out what adventure is to me. And it basically adventure is a little bit like love in that you can't describe it to someone, you have to feel it. So adventure is something that you you know when you feel it. It's usually something that's new and a bit exciting and scary. But if you try and describe that to someone else, you're always going to come across as babbling, essentially. Everyone says very beautiful things. And you always, if you felt adventure, you always agree and go, yes, I know exactly what you mean. But if you if you never had adventure... You just got to go, go out, out there and find it. it. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. and i really love how you i love how you describe it as the feeling of love because it is this thing that almost is universally understandable yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and of course it's it's very you know up to the individual what adventure means but yeah so you just got to go out there and find it you know just like love these days you know people are finding it in all kinds of ways we have apps and and you know sometimes it finds you so how do you find your adventures, especially nowadays, you know, living in a big city and, you know, maybe not being able to get out to those big, you know, far away spots all the time or go on a crazy ultra run? So, yeah, how do you find it or, or do you find that adventure finds you sometimes? I think that one of the things that epilepsy, I, I do have a hangover of and it's something that is quite a positive one for me is that fact that I don't drive. So, when I am cycling into work or I, I'm walking into work, I'm always doing that active travel at the start of the day. And that's something that it, it's one of the things that I've been able to hold on to whilst we are in lockdown and we haven't been able to do much traveling and that kind of thing. That active travel is always something which it's going to be a bit samey sometimes, but if you are in the right mindset, there is always going to be something different on that journey. And I think that for me, finding adventure is a bit difficult at the moment. And I'm very much starting to get to the stage where I'm just craving to go on something big again. I'm craving to just go on a nice solo trip somewhere or a nice long hike. I'm getting a little bit bored of walking in the same 10 kilometer circle from around my house but I I have managed to to do some things which have felt adventurous to me and one of those was fairly recently I decided to just take a bike ride somewhere entirely new I, I was having a look on Komoot and just had a look to see where a nice bike ride might be basically looked for a green space and then plotted a route to it and the route that I plotted ended up being quite off road and it was very muddy and rocky and that kind of thing so it did challenge me and it was something which I I really it it, it felt like it took a little bit of energy and effort to plan beforehand but it was totally worth it to to get out there and just do something that was a little bit out of the norm essentially 
Yeah, absolutely. It's those little adventures around the corner, as we like to call it around here. Love to talk about them on this show. The little adventures around the corner. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. nowadays we're limited, you know, specifically in this moment in time by pandemic. But there's tons of other reasons why people might be limited for financial reasons, for, you know, political reasons, passport reasons, health reasons. Mm-hmm. So it is really great, I think, for for everybody out there to kind of engage with their community and figure out where they can locate these adventures around the corner or just let the adventures find you. And, you know, I I mentioned it a little bit before, but, you know, UK, you know, uh, you have a very strong place in the adventure narrative with all of the classical adventure narrative with all of your explorers history of exploration and sometimes i wonder if you know this is partly responsible for people being adverted a little bit from going on these smaller adventures and really feeling like they need to go out on these big adventures and when i listen to your podcast it's pretty interesting because you find a lot of people who were these kind of like big adventurers going on big journeys and faraway places and climbing to the peaks. And, and then they found out that they got, that they have epilepsy and this kind of for a while, at least stopped them in their tracks and they had to, you know, they, they found their vulnerability in this condition and they realized that they need to reassess the situation and approach maybe adventure from a different angle, different perspective. I'm think there was one episode a while back about finding your inner peak, and for all of you listening to this, you can go check out Fran's podcast, and I think mm-hmm. it is called Inner Peak. And your guest, who I guess found out he had epilepsy, and then he ended up, you know, not being able to, I think, run or adventure as much as he would like. So he ended up studying epilepsy and its connection with clinical sports psychology. And he talked a lot about finding your inner peak, about adjusting your own perspective to match kind of Mm. what your wants and your limitations. Have you found your inner peak in this respect? Yeah, I I don't know. I I think the thing with the inner peak is certainly there's gonna be more than one because you have a mountain range there's hardly ever a peak that stands by itself and certainly there are different things that I can look back on particularly over the past three years that were the biggest challenge up to that point and then there was a a next biggest challenge so when I, the, the thing that started the whole podcast that started Seizure Adventure was that I went and walked the Camino de Santiago. And that is something that both at the time and beforehand and afterwards, people were saying to me, that is a once in a lifetime thing. That's something that is really epic and amazing. And obviously, it was epic and amazing. And as much as I didn't want to be, the person that went and walked to the Camino and said, oh, it was life-changing. It actually was life-changing for me because my podcast came out of it. And so that was the peak at the time. But from that, I've now been trying things that were technically smaller adventures in inverted commas. So the Camino took me four weeks and it was a 500-mile hike. 
but I'm used to hiking. Hiking is something that I I knew that I could do before I did it. And since then, I've done things like mountain biking, which I never thought that I would do. And I've done the ultra marathon, which I never thought I could run that far. I didn't think that was possible for people to run that far, let alone me. And so I certainly feel like the the inner peak, again, is always going to be so personal. It is an inner thing. And people are going to look from the outside and might think that something was absolutely epic and the best that a person can do. But actually the the thing that is quite natural to them, to the person watching, is the thing that is the hardest for the person that's doing it. So yeah, I think that is something which is, it's constantly evolving and constantly changing. And when you find your peak, you you can kind of then look from the top of that peak and see what else you can see and what you might want to, where you might want to go next, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, this sounds like something, an analogy that's, you know, quite universal, regardless of whether you're an outdoors adventure person or outdoors low key person or, you know, whatever you, farmer, whatever you may do. I mean, humans are, you know, living a life that's kind of a series of highs and lows, I would say most people. And at some point you always get to a point where you're going to need to make a decision and, you know, perhaps that's the top of the mountain, see where to go next. But in terms of adventure, since you are a great studier and promoter of adventure, where do you mm. see things going? Do you see any trends, especially since you're dealing with kind of, I would say, alternative perspectives in adventure, coming from this perspective of people with mm. epilepsy? However, you know, most perspectives are going to be different than that of the classic adventure narrative or what we typically see on the cover of, I don't know, adventure magazine. So, Yeah. So in terms of varied perspectives on adventure, how adventure is marketed in the mass media, you know, accessibility to adventure and kind of framing adventure in maybe a more realistic, less romanticized, more accessible way. How do you see this evolving? Yeah, I think I think you definitely hit on something there where even with those shall we say stereotypical adventure narratives where you've got the fairly affluent person usually having quite a lot of money to be able to go to a place and do something epic you you used to have those stories without any concept of what was going on in the background so you didn't have a concept of how much money it cost you didn't have a concept of how much training they were doing. You didn't have a concept of whether they had porters helping with the luggage and all of this kind of thing. If you if you're looking back at the original adventurers and explorers, as you were talking about, all all of that background work and that background support was very much ignored in the olden days. I think we are starting to get to a stage where you know, partly because of things like social media, we are getting to see what all of the background support is like. And a lot of people are seeing that that background support is things like money and having the time to do it and being able-bodied enough to do it. And I think that that is a, a really interesting part and something that I 
try to do with seizure adventure with the telling telling the epic story telling the the result of something with all of the support network behind and with all of the preparation that goes into it because I think that that is something which like I say we're starting to see I mean I'm thinking of the the free solo film as a, a perfect example of that where you you see someone like Annex um Annex <laughs> Alex Hanold who goes and climbs El Cap without any ropes and in the olden days you would have just heard that and you would have just seen that part of the story whereas now you get all of the background of he's done this however many times with ropes and then he's done this in his sleep and he's got all of these notes that like have every single hold that he does and he's practiced practiced this in his mind this many times to go and do that epic thing and I think that that's the part of the stories which we're, with every narrative we're starting to see a bit more of and it is breaking down that that mythos of the the old school adventurer the narrative that is kind of like we're seeing it's quite affluent it's something which is fairly privileged to be able to do in the traditional sense and because we're getting those backstories we're also getting the backstories of of other types of adventure as well. Yeah, I think that that is definitely something which across the board is really interesting to see. I'm really enjoying the backstories of things. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate it too. I really enjoy these stories. And I think that you add really great value to the discussion, Mm -hmm. the consciousness of what different people experience in the outdoors outside of the stereotype. And you raise up, you know, just a lot of voices that otherwise wouldn't be heard. So this is just amazing work that you're doing. And, you know, I hear throughout a lot of the stories that are being told on your show, of course, people, they run into this roadblock at some point where they find out they have epilepsy. And, you know, of course, this is a feat to overcome. And we've kind of discussed that already about, you know, finding your inner peak. But, yeah. you know, when deciding to proceed in the, again with going on adventures or journeys or just, you know, daily outdoor experiences, there is extra stuff to consider. Like this one woman who was traveling across the world on your podcast on her bike and she uh, was very disappointed that she had to stop her trip in the middle due to coronavirus pandemic and I guess uh, fly back to the UK Mm -hmm. which is something we can all identify with but something unique that she was talking about was just the difficulty of planning a long-term journey and having to have you know medication on hand at all times and this medication is you know not easy to get in all kinds of places and I think you know a lot of people out there with various conditions can also identify with this, but can you give us a little bit more insight into some of the, you know, perhaps additional things adventurers who happen to have epilepsy might need to think about before going on a journey? Yeah, basically epilepsy doesn't have a cure. So once you've been diagnosed with epilepsy, you have epilepsy for the rest of your life in some respect. So someone like me, without seizures i i for the most part can can kind of like try and forget that i have it but there is always that that background anxiety there's a big what if that hangs over you once you have that diagnosis and like you say the there are 
things that you always have to put in place. And when it comes to things like traveling and adventure sports and all of that kind of thing, for the most part, I think when people with epilepsy want to do those things, they are quite often willing to to take that extra extra risk for themselves. But with ad- adventure sports, you are quite often doing it with other people anyway. So there is always that kind of that that thing to navigate with how much you're putting other people at risk or how much you're asking of other people by doing sports with them. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons that I I do things solo is because it is just me that's affected. But yeah, yeah, I think for me that is that is definitely the part which I find most difficult to navigate and in in our one of our most recent episodes I had my 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 intern she she's kind of helping but she did a a beautiful episode that was asking her her friends how they felt with her surfing when she has seizures and that kind of thing and that is something which uh, again, it is it is tricky to navigate at times, but I think having the conversations with people, be, being able to talk about it without stigma is definitely a good place to start. Yeah, that's a really good point because in many cases, especially on a you know day trip or longer journey, you're going to be in a group, you're going to be with friends or somebody. So yeah, do you have any tips about how friends or group buddies tour mates can support a fellow traveler who happens to have epilepsy yeah so there's the the first tip is always to ask the person if they have a specific care plan or a specific go-to because sometimes it is different for people but for the most part if you are talking about the the very obvious tonic clonic ones so those ones where you lose consciousness and you're convulsing and that kind of thing you want to first off don't panic because it's something that you can you can deal with it's mostly common sense when you're helping someone with a seizure and you want to make sure that you're timing it that's one of the most important things so make sure that you've got a watch or a clock to hand so that you can time how long the seizure is just look after that person and make sure that they are that they're in a safe area they've not fallen on anything they've not got anything that is restricting them and make sure that they're nice and kind of like guarded in that way cushion their head if they are near anything that could potentially hurt their head and you want to stay with that person until they're they're fully recovered usually seizures will last less than five minutes, in which case that person can recover afterwards. If a seizure lasts for longer than five minutes, or it's the first time that person's had a seizure, or if they do have a specific care plan that that says differently, you you want to phone an ambulance after that five minute period, essentially, because there, there is the potential that it will be ongoing. But for the most part, it is fairly common sense. You're, you're just looking after that person and you're keeping them safe. You, you can ask people to, to kind of like move along if there's a bit of a crowd forming, which can sometimes happen, unfortunately. But otherwise, yeah, just, just be a friend, just be with them. All right, great. Thanks for the tips. And I think it's really good that you mentioned that, you know, to just be open about the condition if you're someone that 
happens to have epilepsy or if you maybe are on tour and you know somebody that has epilepsy on tour just so you can be open about this and know how to approach the situation in in the tour setting and i think that really goes for all kinds of medical conditions actually particularly in a setting where you know a hospital or emergency services might not be accessible and in general it's you know always good argument to simply no first aid or even a good argument for taking a first responder course or a woofer course if you plan on journeying outdoors on a regular basis it's not a bad idea to know wilderness first aid and i think it's good for you to tell us about this because i'm sure a lot of people that do have epilepsy probably already know the precautions that they should take but it's also good for people that don't have experience with this to understand so they can relate and even perhaps respond in a particular situation. Any other logistics? Yeah, so for, for, for myself, even without having the seizures, there are a couple of things I still have to take into account. So because I don't drive, there might be a few logistics in terms of actually getting to the adventure that you might not have to think about if you can drive. So always going to Uh, the start of somewhere that I can get to by public transport or by walking or cycling. Medication, making sure that you have enough medication to last the whole of the trip or the adventure. I always take medication with me if I'm going, going away. I've always got a little bit of an emergency supply in my wallet, which is coming quite useful at times, even on a, a night out when I accidentally stayed over my sister's one night because I stayed out longer than I was expecting to and that kind of thing. So making sure you've got your medication and you're taking those on time. And if you are going to you know, across across countries, if you're flying somewhere, you, you might end up having to readjust your medication so that it's a good time for where you're arriving and that kind of thing. And if you are still having seizures, obviously one of the things to bear in mind is if you if you are likely to to have a seizure, is there going to be an added risk in terms of if you are likely to fall onto something or if you're likely to fall um, from a height? That's one of the major things to think about if a seizure is likely. Or if you're in water sports, obviously, again, water adding a, a big risk to it. So thinking about that kind of stuff, it's always just being aware of that in the first instance and then putting things in place to mitigate that. So for for some people, it might be that they they wear a helmet, even if people wouldn't necessarily wear a helmet for that activity because you're protecting your head if you do fall and that kind of thing. Or there are some people that have emergency emergency alarms and that kind of thing. So if they are, perhaps they're out surfing with friends, but if you can't keep in contact with a friend by shouting, you have a little emergency alarm or a a walkie-talkie was suggested, like a watch walkie-talkie and that kind of thing, or, you know, stuff like that. So it's basically preempting any risk that might happen. So logistically, a few things to, to stop to stop the risk and making sure you are taking your medication, making sure you're doing things like just looking after yourself generally and having food and not getting dehydrated and not getting too tired and all that kind of stuff that you just want to be a little bit extra careful about that you you might not consider as much if you if you're not prone to seizures. You might just kind of power through. 
but if you are prone to seizures you you might kind of like step back a bit sooner and that kind of thing so yeah it's just it's just an amplified version of the kind of risk assessments you do anyway yeah that's right because it's not a determining factor necessarily it's more of a risk factor that just needs to be stirred into the mix when you're preparing for a trip are there any organizations or groups in the uk or around the world that you know about that are focusing on people with epilepsy and outdoor pursuits yeah so that there aren't really any there are a couple of organizations that do kind of experience and get away things for mostly kids with epilepsy the meef charity is quite a good one for that they do experience days and that kind of thing but there isn't there isn't specifically anything at the moment that does focus on helping people to access the outdoors and helping people to access specifically adventure sports. So absolutely a gap there. But I am starting to see some of the regular epilepsy charities, as it were, starting to give a little bit more advice and support on that side as well, which is good to see. Yeah, I mean, Seize Your Adventure does sound like a really great name for, I don't know, tour company or some kind of organization. So just floating that idea by you yes yeah i have i have been told i have been it's not my expertise so i'm quite happy to to lend my support if somebody else wants to take up that take up that baton but it's not my area of expertise i'm more more podcast and writing and content so Well, there is a lot of opportunity for writing outdoors and all kinds of projects and workshops you can do with people of all ages. I remember we did one really amazing project when I was studying up in Cumbria where we had a great reenactment of the book Swallows and Amazons for a few days and it turned into a sailing trip and a camping trip all based around this idea of, you know, dramaturgy and reenacting things in the outdoors and learning at the same time. So yeah, there's something going on there. This is true. I did do a little bit of site-specific drama when I was uh, way back in school. We did a few things on beaches and that kind of thing, which is quite nice. But yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So just to wrap up, I've been asking a lot of people this question lately as per pandemic times, but it's relatable to really any time. So do you have some favorite micro adventures in your area? And do you have any big adventures coming up or that you'd like in the future? Yes. Yeah. I think micro adventures for, for myself, like I said, it's a very green area. We do have a lot of open spaces and wooded areas and rivers and that kind of thing. And one of the ones that's really nice to have found over the past couple of months is, it's actually something that's on on my way into work as well. There's a little stream called the Hogs Mill and it's what's called a, it's like a chalk bed stream, which is actually a really rare type of stream in the world. It's quite a unique ecosystem, essentially. And so there are birds and animals and fish and all of this kind of thing, which you just don't really find elsewhere. And that that stream is just really nice to walk by. We've got things like kingfishers, if you if you're lucky, and lots of lots of other birds and animals and stuff. So 
Yeah, I would say definitely look look for the areas of green and blue that are near you and there's always going to be something. One of the ones that I've really enjoyed, I'm not sure everybody would enjoy it, but we have a little mouse that's just out in our garden as well. I quite enjoy seeing him through the window every now and then. So... <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I'm, that's the adventurous side of my life at the moment. For big adventures, oh yeah, I've got a couple that I really want to do. Talking about animals, I have a slight obsession with seeing a bear in the wild. You might have heard anybody that listens to the podcast, every time I speak to somebody that's seen a bear, there's a whole story about the bear because I, I just really want to see a bear in the wild. Well, if you're looking for bears, search no further than my home state of Florida. We have lots of bears there. We have all kinds of animals there, monkeys, wild horses, wild boars, everything. But we have lots of bears. I've seen a lot of bears there. Oh, wow. See, I wouldn't have thought that about Florida. That's something that I, yeah, my geography again is coming back. Coming back. So, yeah, before we let you go, can you just tell everybody if they would like to listen to your podcast more, which is a good idea. You should also check out Fran's podcast, where they can find you in, in your work. Yeah, absolutely. So the best thing to do if you're listening to this one is to just search in your app for Seize Your Adventure, and that's Y-O-U-R, Adventure. And we have just finished the second season. So third season will be coming up in March of next year. And yeah, if you enjoyed these kind of conversations, we, we have all kinds of epic conversations and that's mixed in with a couple of storytelling episodes as well, which are my favorite episodes to do. So hopefully you'll enjoy those ones and, and do kind of like hit me up on Instagram. I am at frantic tea walks and there are links in my Instagram page to pretty much everywhere else that i am essentially so come and find me on there all right and that's it thanks a lot Fran, for joining me today thank you so much for having me it's been a really great conversation back everybody and thanks so much to fran for bringing us these invaluable perspectives on the little discussed subject of what it's like to have epilepsy while exploring the outdoors so fran's work shows us that with some awareness and flexibility if you happen to be met with epilepsy one can rise above the social stigmas of epilepsy and enjoy the great outdoors I think as we dig deeper and deeper into a variety of perspectives on this show, in many cases, we can find differences in our experiences, but in that we also can find similarities. In fact, our own unique struggles, whatever they may be, can serve as a window into the struggles of others. Just to know that we all have inner peaks and inner valleys in itself is a commonality and sometimes all we need is this to identify with each other and unify in an effort to lift each other, both the humans and the more than humans alike, to lift each other to a level of equity and justice. Being informed and having an understanding is key to achieving sociocultural and ecological sustainability. These things don't work alone and neither do we. And that's why this show is here to share these transnatural perspectives. Thanks everybody for tuning in this week. Please stay in touch. Stay healthy and get outside.
Greetings, everyone. This is your host, Josh, here. Happy to say that the Trans Natural Perspectives podcast is brought to us by listeners like you. If you find value in this show and you want to help it grow, please consider sharing this podcast, writing a review, and supporting the show. Head on over to transnaturalperspectives.com to learn more about how you can contribute as a monthly subscriber, as a one-time donor, as well as check out our blog. I invite you to contact me with any ideas you have for the show. If you'd like to be a guest, if you need a writer, or any other tips on further funding opportunities. I'd really love to hear from you. It keeps this show going, keeps me going. And with that being said, thanks for listening.